I don't know if I've ever been clapped for, Greg. I mean, just kidding. Greg is starting as a full-time um, executive pastor of discipleship here at GPC, so we're thrilled to have him coming on in just a couple weeks. Um, well, thank you for making your way back here uh, to GPC or making your way to here if this is your first time here. Uh, you are finding us in part two of a series that we are calling Good to Know. And the reason we're calling it Good to Know is because we're going to pull up a chair to the table where Solomon has pulled up a chair with his son, and we're going to hear from him some things that are, quite frankly, good to know. They're good to know for life, and they're good to know for faith. They're good to know for all kinds of things. And last week, we began this series as we kind of pulled the chair up to Solomon's table with his son, and we talked about the value of wisdom on the whole. And one of the things we said about wisdom is this. We said that wisdom is actually invaluable. The reason is because it's a renewable resource which offers ever-increasing rates of return. It's like Good wine, I guess, that ages over time, but even better, it continues to renew itself, like it never runs out. It's one of the few things in life that actually gets better and better with age, and it actually never, ever runs out. Now, here's what we know about wisdom. Um, when you're trying to walk down a path and you're not sure if you should go right or left, or you're trying to make a decision about this or that, and you're trying to figure out what is the way of wisdom, what is the way that I should go, how should I make this decision, you know, where should I spend my money, who should I live with, you know, where should I go, where do I get a job, you know, how should I handle my kids, you know, what about the finances, you're trying to figure it out. We tend to do this. We only tend to go ways that we trust. We only go ways that we trust. If I have a couple ways in front of me, a way that may be you know, outlined to me by my dad or by mama, my mom, I might go that way. But if I go away or, or hear of a way that's given to me by somebody else, I may not go that way. Let me give you an example. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had to buy a used car. Our uh, older van was nearing the 200,000 mile mark and it was starting to get tired. And so we got a new van. And, and I don't know if you love used car shopping as much as I do. But it's an amazing phenomenon. You walk in and you have a salesman, and the first thing I do is I try to read this salesman. Like, is he just trying to sell me something, or is he actually after my interest? And so I go to this one dealership, and I, tell you, I walk in, and I feel immediately a complete disconnect between the, the slick, greased-up salesman and my desire to, to look at this car. And so instinctively, I'm like, oh, I came to this place. I thought I wanted to test drive that car, but because of you, I don't want to. But I still go out and look at it because I don't trust him. And so I am unlikely to go the way that he wants me to go because I will only go a way that I trust. You know, a couple of years ago, speaking of cars and all that, uh, we bought a new GPS unit, a Garmin GPS unit for our car because we were taking a trip out west and we didn't know where we were going. And so we get this new Garmin GPS unit, which we nicknamed Becky, by the way, all right? If your name is Becky, this is nothing personal. I have a sister named Rebecca. I used to call her Becky. She hates it, so I call her. That's right. So we had Becky in our car, and Becky was not very good at what she did. Like, we tested her around here to figure out how does she work, and we found out that coming from our home in Gap to Paradise, like, she wouldn't necessarily take us the normal way that most living, breathing, thinking human beings take us, but almost always take us, like, out to Route 222 and then back, and like, about 15 minutes out of the way and back here. And over time, it didn't take long, I did not trust the way that Becky wanted to take me. And so as we're going out west, I'm like, ah, I have this thing, but I don't exactly trust it. Now, this principle applies not just to GPS, it's not just to car salesmen, but to everything actually in life. If I'm trying to make a decision and I don't trust the way that you might lead me or that my parents might lead me, then who is it that I'm going to trust? And the answer is, for most of us, 
ourselves. Because you know and I know that you are unlikely to lead yourself astray, right? You are not going to betray yourself, right? You are not going to give yourself a bad deal because you are looking out for yourself. And so most of us just by default trust ourselves. We think, quite frankly, we make good decisions. And we also trust ourselves over other people who actually may be wise. Has this ever happened to you or someone you know? You get a prescription from the doctor and they say, please take this for X number of weeks or X number of months. And after about four days, you start feeling better. Why in the world would I continue to take medicine when I'm feeling better? I know the doctor told me I should, but come on, I feel better. Why do I need to continue to take the medicine? You ever get a a call from mom, or you ever call mom or dad and ask them about parenting advice? So my kid, they just won't go on the potty. That happens. What do I do? Or hey, you know, my kids are fighting about this. What did you do, mom, when, when we fought about this at home? And they give you some advice and you're like, I wish I wouldn't have called you. Like that, no, like that, that worked probably when we were kids, but nowadays, like, and you don't even tell them this on the phone, be like, no, like, thank you, that's good, thank you, thank you, thank you, but you hang up and you know, you know, these are my kids, and I'm going to do this the way that I think is best. If you're in high school or junior high, every now and then you're like, you know, I think my parents at some point in their life may have actually been in junior high or high school. It was 95 years ago, but they may have been in this moment. And you get stuck in a situation, and you're like, I don't know what I should do in this moment. I wonder what mom and dad would do. Do you ever think that? No, you don't think that, because they went to school 95 years ago. You think, man, what should I do? Because I trust myself. We tend to be people, just by and large, who trust ourselves. And, and that can work out really well, because we are not dull people. We have gotten ourselves this far for so many reasons, but, but every now and then, Every now and then, we run into situations that are too big, too new, or too complex for us to handle. We run into decisions that need to be made that we have not yet experienced, that are way too complex, or that are brand new, and sometimes, 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 we simply don't know what to do. Now, here's what I want to say. We, as we pull this chair up today to the table where Solomon is talking to his son, Here's what Solomon is going to tell his son, and here's what I want you to know today, that who you trust shapes both the quality and the direction of your life and my life. That who you trust, whether you trust yourself, if you trust a parent, if you trust a peer, if you trust something else, who you trust, not just what you know, but actually who you lean into and who you trust will shape both the quality and the direction of your life. So I want to invite you to the table with Solomon. The table that we're at is in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. The Proverbs is a book in what we call the Old Testament in our Bible. Uh, It's in the first half of your Bible. If you find the book of Psalms, it's the biggest part of the Bible, kind of in the middle, kind of dead spot on in the middle. Uh, And then you can just go to the right a little bit, and you'll find the book of Proverbs. But Proverbs, chapter 3. And if you don't own a Bible, by the way, there's a Bible in the pew around you, and that is our gift to you. We'd love to have you take that. And you can take the book in the back uh, from Andy Stanley. And frankly, you see something else of value around here you want to take? Okay, just, (laughs) just, just kidding about that. Okay. Proverbs chapter 3, and we are in verse 5 this morning. And this is a verse that if you grew up in church, you may already have memorized, which is always fun to look at again. So let's check it out. I'm reading from the New International Version. 
Solomon is at the table with his son. Here's what he says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to pause and go through this phrase by phrase. So he sits there with his son at the table. Son, trust in the Lord with all that you have, all of your heart. Now, if you have kids, or you've ever been a kid, you know that you can't just say one thing to your kid and have them get it, right? You have to kind of flesh that out and work that out. He's sitting down with his son like, son, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I said that so fast, let me try to clarify that a little bit and give a little bit of flesh to that, nuance that a little bit. So he gives the second part of this um, proverb, and he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, like lean into him, you can count on him, there's going to be a time when I'm not here, but I want you to do more, I want you to understand this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and, the second part of the proverb, and, let me clarify it, and lean not, don't lean, don't trust, don't fall into, don't count on, lean not on your own understanding. So let me contrast it here, my son. Trust in the Lord and don't trust in yourself. Like trust in the Lord and don't just lean on your own understanding. Don't just lean into that by default. Now, think about that for a minute. Is Solomon saying to his son, like, son, I know where you've come from. I know your mother and you are dull. (laughs) Like you can't be trusted with yourself. Is that what Solomon is saying? I don't think so. Now here's what I think Solomon is saying because I think this is true for all of us. I think there was a point in time before they turned out to be some of our worst ideas that we thought they were some of our best ideas. There was a point in time, I believe, before they turned out to be some of our worst ideas that we thought these are some of our greatest ideas. The people that you dated in high school This is a great idea, until it turned out to be a bad idea. The stuff that you bought, this is a great idea right now. I love this new thing that I bought, this new car that I bought, this new whatever. This is a perfect time. This is great. I can't wait. And then you buy it, and then you pay for it, and pay for it, and it breaks down, and you're in a financial problem. You're like, man, that was a really bad time to make that decision. The job that you left because you thought, man, the next one is going to be better, like the boss isn't quite right, but I'm sure it's not me, it's the boss, and I'm going to get a new place, a new thing, I'm going to take an adventure, I'm going to go, and you get to the new place, and you find out the problems have just kind of come along with you. Like, man, I must have found another boss just like my other boss. You realize, somewhere along the line, the things that we call regret are the things that we look back on and we realize, you know what? There was a point in time when all of the bad ideas that I have ever made, I actually thought were some of my best ideas. And if that is true, if you have ever had regret, what it teaches you and teaches me is that I cannot be totally trusted to make the best decisions for my life. Not because you're dumb, not because you're dull, Not because you're not intelligent, but simply because you don't have and I don't have the kind of perspective that we needed at the time. Had we known everything there was to know about how that decision would have unfolded, you and I would both have made different decisions. But in that space of who we should date, in that space of who we should marry or marry again or marry again or where we should live or where we should move or how we should spend, in that space we only had a limited perspective. We trusted it, and we leaned into it. And some of those great ideas turned out to be really bad ideas later. And Solomon is saying to his son, son, I know you're smart. Like, I know you're intelligent. I know you can think on your own two feet. Like, you're, you're a smart kid. 
But don't just sit on that chair of your own understanding and sit there with blind faith in yourself that you will always make the best decision because your regrets will teach you. No, you won't. But what if, what if there was someone that you could trust who actually had a perspective that you don't have? And this is why Solomon says, trust, my son, trust in the Lord. Like, trust in the one who has the perspective. Trust in your heavenly Father. Like, he has the perspective that you simply do not have. And your lack of perspective is what turns seemingly good ideas into bad ideas. But what if you could know a heavenly Father? And so he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And then he continues to say, here's what... Here's what that means. Let me work that out for you even a little bit more. In all of your ways, verse 6, acknowledge him. It's a big word that he says there. In all your ways and every way that you go and every place that you look, acknowledge him. It's kind of like you think about all the ways that you go. You, know, you wake up in the morning and the first way you go might be to look at your spouse if you're married. Or the first way you go if you're single is to kind of look at the clock, get going, think about your day, and you meet somebody on the road or whatever it might be, or you go to school. Like in every way that you turn, every person that you interact with, every way that your attention goes, and all of your ways, the ways that you are pulled and pushed in different directions, in all those ways, he says, acknowledge him. It's a Hebrew word, acknowledge it is a word called, it's a word um, yada, Y-A-D-A. Now, I will be honest with you, it makes me think of Yoda, right? We have any Yoda fans out there, that small, freakishly weird green character, right, who actually is rather intelligent or smart, or I guess intelligent, I don't know, but is like this fountain of strange wisdom and puts words backwards and all that in the Star Wars trilogy. There's Yoda. So in case that helps you, this has nothing to do with Hebrew, it just has to do with Star Wars and Yoda, but it does have to do with Yada, the idea of acknowledge, like in all of your ways, acknowledge, experientially know, that's that word of Yada or know, experientially know God, in all of your ways, acknowledge acknowledge him. In other words, everywhere you turn, remember, God is in the room. God is in the room with you. In every space that you turn, God is in the room. So this is important to Solomon because this is actually advice that Solomon's dad gave him. So in in 1 Chronicles 28, David says to his son Solomon, and you, my son Solomon, Acknowledge, yada, know, experience, be aware that everywhere you go, acknowledge the God of your Father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. So think about this acknowledge idea for a minute. Let me ask you, when you are driving down the road, you're driving down Route 30, driving down 3, 4, driving wherever you drive, And you happen to see, because you're smart and you're thoughtful about this, you happen to see a cop down the road. Let me ask you, do you continue to drive in the same manner that you were currently driving? Or is there an instinct in you that checks that little needle right in front of your eyes? Let me ask you this. If you you have friends over, because you have friends, you have friends over and you have young kids, when when your young kids misbehave, When there are friends over, do you talk to them the exact same way that you talk to them when you do not have friends at your house? Let me ask you, if you have Netflix and you have it on your device and you're watching it in your room, you're watching whatever, when you go to grandma's house, do you tend to watch the same things in grandma's living room that you watch when you're at home and no one is around? Depending on your grandma, maybe, I don't know. But here's the thing, when there's someone else around, when we know there's someone else here, 
whether it's a cop down the road or a grandma in the room or, or a friend who's going to watch my behavior, I'm acknowledging that they are in the room, and it changes my behavior. It changes what I do. This is what Solomon's saying. Son, everywhere you go, like, just stop for a minute. Recognize God is in the room. He's in the room. He's in the room in your marriage. He's in the room in your finances. You're trying to figure out how to handle where you're going to go in the future. Like He's in the room with you. He's in the room with your anxiety. He's in the room with your children. He's in the room with your business and the decisions you have to make about vision, strategy, hiring, building. Like He's in the room. Acknowledge it. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Why? Why should I do that? And he answers that question in the last part of verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And look what he says. And He will make your paths straight. You and I know that you can move faster on a straight road. Like when the road ahead is clear, you can go, which is a problem when there's a cop down the road, right? But when, when the path is clear and straight, you and I can both go faster, further, with greater efficiency when the road is simply straight. And this is what Solomon is saying. Son, when you acknowledge that God is in the room, it will keep you, it will keep you from putting rocks in your own path. It will keep you from ruining the road that you are on. Because you know this, every time that you have made a bad decision, every time you have something to look back on it with regret, there is something that you need to clean up as a result. You need to apologize for something. You need to ask for forgiveness. You've strained a relationship. You've made a bad financial decision. Now the budget has to be different. Maybe because of your decisions, you've had to let people go at work. But every time that we have made bad decisions, there have been consequences that slow us down, that we end up doing sideways momentum rather than forward momentum every time. And Solomon just saying, if you would stop for a minute, acknowledge God is in the room, trust in him, not just drop into your own faith, like trust in him, he'll make your path straight. Like you will have less sideways momentum and more clarity on where in the world you should be going, more energy to put toward your future and your vision. That's what he's saying. Now, again, because you're talking to a son, and I've been a son, I've been a son, and I'm also a, a grown man now. I act that way sometimes. And sometimes I find that when Jen and I are talking at home, she'll say something to me, and I'll be like on another planet. Does this ever happen to anybody else? And then she'll look at me like, did you hear anything that I just said? And you know the right answer to that, of course, right? Yes, honey. And then you try to make it up and fake it from that point on. Like, no, actually, I don't know anything you said. I don't know what time we're leaving. I forget all that. I wasn't paying attention, but you can't say that. So it's like, yes, I love you. I always pay attention to every word that you say all the time. Even when I can't hear it, I hear you. Okay. So there are times when I'm like, I uh, no, no, I don't know. What time are we leaving again? 11? Okay. Leaving 11. Yep, I'm right on it. I think Solomon recognizes his son needs to hear this again. And so he says it again in verses 7 and 8. And look what he says. He re repeats much of the same thing to him again. He says, let me put it a new way to you, son, just in case you weren't paying attention. Maybe this will help you. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Like, don't just trust what you see. Remember, you have limited perspective. You've had regrets. Don't just trust what you see. And then he says, fear the Lord and shun evil. Interesting statement. The idea of fearing the Lord is a lot like when um, I was at my grandmother's house in Connecticut. My grandma was a great lady, a great lady, um, very small, uh, dynamic personality. And uh, she asked me, I think I was, I don't know, eight years old or so. She said, hey, Timmy, all right? Timmy, childhood memories come flooding back right there. Would you go get the mail? To which I said, no. 
I still can't believe I said no. I still have an emotion. Like, why would I say no to her? Because the reason is, is I was riding the big wheel in the driveway, okay? And I grew up in the Caribbean and Barbados. Parents are missionaries. So I, we didn't have a lot of that stuff where I was, and it was really cool to do that. I'm like, are you serious, Grammy? Like, you want me to stop the big wheel and go get the mail? No. I mean, I didn't yell at her, but I'm like, no. And it was that. I still remember that, like, I'm saying no to Grammy, kind of no. Because I didn't fear her like she was going to lay into me, but I feared her in the sense of I wanted to, instinctively knew, like, I want to honor this woman. Like, I want to give her respect, and I wasn't doing it. And it felt so off that I would say that, but I didn't care. I wanted to ride the big wheel. It wasn't enough. And that's what I think he's saying, like, fear the Lord. Don't, like, cower in the corner, like, trembling, but listen, God is worthy of that kind of respect and, and honor. Like, fear the Lord that way and shun evil. That's an, that's an image. That's a metaphor that he's using. It's a metaphor. It's an image for um, something that is shoddily made. I can put it that way. Something that is made um, weakly. Think about um, buying a particle board furniture versus real oak wood. Okay, Particle board will last for an awesome week and a half. Oak will last for a lifetime. Okay, so he's like the things that are shoddily made, like shun evil. That's the imagery that's used. And you know how that works. Like shun evil. In other words, things that are shoddily made are relationships that are built on physical attraction alone. People who marry bodies and get tired of the way the body looks later and then get a new body to be married to. Shoddily made relationships. Businesses that are built on shoddily made books that are moving from one account to the other, just trying to kind of keep things afloat. A shoddily made business is not going to last. Like things like that that are quote unquote evil, this is shoddily made. I don't know if that's a great word or not, but that's the point. Things that are weakly made, they're not strong. Shun that kind of stuff because why? Come on. That puts rocks in your path. You've got to recover from the business field. You have to recover from the marriage field. You have to recover from all these things, and it puts rocks in your path. Like, shun that stuff. Don't go there. Just don't do that. Then he, he goes on. He'll, he goes on. And here's what happens. He says, verse 8, this will, like, this will bring health to your body. Literally, this is weird, right? This is weird. Literally, this means actually health to your navel. When's the last time you used that word? But that's what he's saying. Health to your navel, like where you actually got life from in the first place, this will bring health or life to the very source of your being. This will bring health to your body. And then nourishment, and some of your versions might say refreshment to your bones, literally means a drink of refreshing water. This will bring refreshment. If you are exhausted, if you don't know which way to go, you've been in anxiety over where to go and what to do, this will bring you refreshment. Drink it. To your bones. So, let me say this. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If you've never memorized that verse, great verse to memorize. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Sounds like a promise. It's not quite a promise. It's a good principle to, to hold on to. Now, let me, let me dive into this a little bit more and ask the question and kind of make this statement. Trusting God is actually much harder than it sounds. I mean, it sounds awesome on a Sunday morning. Trust God, you know, super duper. Woo, that's great. But think about it with me for a minute. Trusting is actually really hard. It's actually very difficult to do this. And the reason is, a couple of reasons. Number one is this. It takes both courage and humility to trust someone else. You ever think about it that way? It takes both courage and humility to trust someone else. If we could go back to the toddler nursery right now, we have a toddler nursery going on in the back there. Um, number one, we need to kind of gear up for that. There's things that fly in the nursery. Just kidding. Your children are probably safe, probably. No. Anyway. 
But you can imagine a toddler nursery full of little toddlers toddling around. And things happen in the toddler nursery. I know that because I had toddlers. I've been a toddler. can't remember that time in my life. But I know that, that kids just are kids. They take stuff, they push, and they do whatever. And kids can be mean. That's just kind of the way that is. But imagine a kid in the toddler nursery taking, grabbing one toy from the other, and the other one gets mad, and so they push him. Or they bite him. That happens too. You know, you do whatever you can. Because toddler number one, who's been offended, thinks toddler number two is being a real pain. They took my thing, whatever my thing was, and the instinctive response is to lean into my own understanding. And my understanding as a two-year-old, three-year-old, is I'm going to hit back at something that was, you know, this was wrong. I was wrong, so I'm going to hit kick, bite, whatever I'm going to do, or throw the thing in my left hand at the person you took it from my right hand. Isn't that the way it goes? And so what does the adult in the room do? They're like, way to go. Like, hit them harder next time. That'll show them. Like, no. So the adult is like, no, of course we don't do that. Like, that's not the right reaction. Here's what you should do. And so here's little toddler number one sitting there. They have to process, am I humble enough to accept instruction from the tall person in the room? And am I courageous enough to believe that what they are telling me is the right thing to do because it doesn't feel like it. That does not seem wise. Wait, they just stole that from me. You're telling me I'm not allowed to punch them? I don't think so. You're 95 years older than me. You've never sat where I've sat. It takes courage to trust somebody else's wisdom. Because if it would have been a good idea, you would have done it in the first place. I would have done it in the first place. And so it takes a tremendous amount of humility and a tremendous amount of courage to do things that instinctively we are not thinking are good ideas. And so this is a really big thought. When Solomon says to his son, son, trust in God. Trust in the Lord. Don't just lean on your own understanding. And this is going to take more courage than you realize and more humility than you realize. The second thing is this. Anxiety almost always precedes trust. And I don't know if you ever thought about it this way before, but if you're trying to get to the land of trust, the bridge you have to cross over is the bridge of anxiety. If you've ever done a trust fall, the thing that comes right before a trust fall when you're standing there and you're hoping that your friends behind you will catch you when you actually fall backwards, the reason you don't just do it right away is because you're immediately anxious. Because anxiety always precedes trust. The reason for that is because I'm giving up control. I'm giving up control of my body. If I fall backwards and you decide not to catch me, I will crack my head open on the floor, whatever that is, and that is not a desirable outcome for me. So anxiety almost always precedes trust, which means when we say trust in the Lord and your first feeling that you have is a feeling of, I'm actually more anxious than less anxious. Wait a minute. I thought, I thought when I trusted God that I would be comforted. Hold on. I thought when I trusted God, everything would feel better. Hang on a second. I thought when I trusted that this kind of peace would overcome me, but what I feel instead is I feel anxious. Like, I'm worried. Like, I'm no longer in control. I'm just like, yeah. Like, that is the nature of trust. In order to get there, this little bridge called anxiety has to be dealt with and addressed. And Solomon's saying to his son, listen, trust in the Lord. It's going to take courage. It's going to take humility. And don't be surprised that the first thing that you experience is actually more stress and anxiety than peace and comfort. That is the nature of stepping into trust. When I actually say, God, take my finances wherever you would like them to be. 
Take my marriage and me as a husband and a leader wherever in the world that I need to go. Help me to restore and redeem the relationships that I have broken because I've been too pushy or I've been too arrogant. Man, that might mean that I have to do something that I'm not comfortable doing. And that gives me anxiety as I trust the Lord and lean not on my own understanding. So here's what I want you to try to remember. Wherever you go, whatever path you take, God is in the room. God is in the room because he loves you, he loves me. God is not in the room because he's a police officer waiting to bust you because you go over the speed limit. God is in the room because he actually made you. Because he cares about you. Wherever you go, whatever way you turn, God is in the room. Acknowledge him. God is in the room. God is in the room because he loves you. Therefore, I can ask for wisdom at every turn. At every turn, everywhere I go, in every moment that I have, I can just pause for a minute and I can say, God, before I respond to this email, give me wisdom. Before I post on social media, give, give me wisdom. God, I am, I'm a little upset. I'm tight. Like I know it. I'm stressed about work. My kids, I, God, give me wisdom. You're, you're in the room. Don't just let me trust in my own understanding, but the, give me wisdom in this space, right here, right now. Here's a little prayer, a little thought, whatever you want to call that, that, that will often go through my mind that I just want to give to you. If this is helpful to you, I'd encourage you to try this for a week. Number one, it's not going to kill you, I don't think. Number two, it'll be beneficial to try. And this, this simple thing to say, like, God, you're going to be in the room with me everywhere I go today. Please give me wisdom. God, you're going to be in the room. I wake up, like, God, you're going to be in the room everywhere I go today with my family, at work, my children, my hobbies, and the moments that I have and the quick responses that I have to ideas. Like, you're going to be in the room with me, God. Like, I don't want to just lean into and trust my own understanding. The reason is I've had regrets. I've had really awesome ideas that turn out later to be really bad ideas because I've only leaned into my own understanding. So, God, give me wisdom today because you're in the room and you love me not to make, not to put stones in the path in front of me, but to make decisions, trusting in you. Now, I will say this. If you happen to be outside weeding, mowing the lawn, sitting there enjoying a cup of tea or whatever, and your neighbor comes to you and says, listen, your children are playing in the street with knives, don't just sit there and be like, hold on, God, give me wisdom that I may know what to do. Go get the kids out of the street with knives, okay? Fair enough. That there, there are things that God has given us the intellectual capacity to handle, do those things quite fairly. But you know and I know that there are moments that change relationships. There are moments that are thoughtless moments that I have, that you may have, and it's in those moments before I respond, before I interact, before I make the decision, in that space, I say, God, I want... I want to pull up that chair with Solomon because I know, because I know that who I trust shapes the quality and the direction of my life. And I want to go on a straight path. I want my family to go there. I want my future to be there. So God, help me to have the courage and the humility to trust you, to cross over that bridge of anxiety, 
that I don't just lean in my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge, God, you, you are in the room. Give me wisdom in this moment with those whom I love the most, who I interact with the most, who will be impacted the most by my decisions, that they will see you from what I do. Now, one of the hardest ways, one of the hardest things to trust God on is the thing that is closest to our heart, closest to our experience all the time, and that is how in the world am I going to trust God with the resources and finances and material things that he has given to me. And that is what we're going to pull our chair up next week to Solomon as he gives his son advice on how we should handle those finances. Be glad to have you back next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word this morning to stop around this simple idea that some of us have heard for a long time and others may just be getting introduced to. But I pray that you would allow this to sit into our hearts in that soft part of our heart and our mind that can allow this kind of thing to be planted and remembered. That in every space that I go, in every room that I'm in, in every relationship that I share with someone else, that you're in that space, you're in the room because you love me. And therefore, I can ask you for wisdom. And I pray that you would help us to trust you with all the attending courage that that takes and all the attending humility that takes to do that very thing, that we would, like James, the brother of Jesus, says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives it freely. And so we pray that we would be people who take a moment before we respond, before we act, to remember and acknowledge. You're in the room. Give me wisdom that this decision would be honoring to you, that I would know your heart, your desire on this, and that you would help direct my steps, that the path ahead would be as clear as it can be. I thank you, Father, for your kindness, for your care, for your compassion for us. And I pray that we would walk in the way that you lay out for us, no matter what that takes. We pray this in Jesus' name.